Today on Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show, we visit with Mark Richardson. He's one of the young guns in horticulture, someone who's going to take our favorite passion into the future. The Garden in the Woods in Framingham, Massachusetts is one of my favorite public gardens. The eastern United States is second only to China in the number of species living on the floors of the forest where winters are cold. And the Garden in the Woods is the best place to see our wildflowers that are among the most precious jewels of the temperate world. Mark Richardson is the new director of horticulture for the New England Wildflower Society, which is headquartered at the Garden in the Woods, and I'm happy to welcome Mark to Kendrew's Real Dirt. Hello. Thanks, Ken. That was a great introduction. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. Well, I'd like to start, speaking of introductions, <laughs> hearing about your biography. I think it's it would be very interesting to listeners and to me to hear how your career developed. Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to go into a little bit of that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm definitely a public horticulture person. I've, I, uh, I've been in public court now for, I guess, almost 10 years. I started I went through the um, Longwood graduate program at University of Delaware and finished that up in about 2004. Um, and before the Longwood grad program, I studied at University of Rhode Island, um, studied ornamental horticulture there, and um, worked at a, at a small family-owned retail wholesale garden center um, and, uh, and nursery. So I have a lot of nursery experience. A lot of, Where was that? Uh, it was in Rhode Island. Um, it was about 15 minutes from University of Rhode Island. And uh, it was a great place to work. I got, you know, at the time I was 18, 19, 20-year-old kid uh, operating a lot of farm equipment and, you know, learning how to how to grow plants and um, learning all about the nursery industry. So it was it was a lot of fun. It Do you want to mention people. the name of the nursery? Oh, yeah, sure. It's, it was, uh, it's called Shartner Farms. Um, huh. And it's in Exeter, Rhode Island. Um, and it was, it was a great place. I mean, I had a lot of autonomy. I worked really closely with the nursery manager. Um, they really respected the education that I was getting uh, at University of Rhode Island, so it was kind of a nice way to um, complement my my education experience at at the at uh, at university, um, and really kind of worked hands on as I was going through school. I, I really enjoy hands on work, so it was um, it was a lot of fun. And <clears throat> as I was finishing up school, I realized I really wanted to go into graduate school, and wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. Um, I thought maybe I'd get a Ph.D. and, you know, become a university professor. That, that sounded pretty appealing to me at the time. And, um, and you know, once I actually got into grad school, I realized I, I, and, I'm not uh, a researcher. You, um, you wanted to be uh, – you wanted to run a backhoe and, te- and be a professor. Exactly. Yeah, that sounded really appealing. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> yep. If I, could, if I could use a tree spade and – uh, and you know, and, and teach classes. I'd be really happy. I, I I was a teaching assistant for a plant materials course during my last two semesters at URI, and I really enjoyed that experience. I got to lead plant walks, plant labs um, throughout the campus, and you know, share others, uh, share my knowledge with others. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And that's sort of what turned me on to um, public horticulture in the first place. Was you know, the opportunity to, to share my knowledge and share my expertise with other people was really appealing. And I saw lots of opportunities for that in public gardens and public horticulture. And, and to be honest, the Longwood grad program is a pretty good deal. 
uh, you know, it was a it was a great paid education for a couple of years. I got to travel to Costa Rica and hmm. um, go all over the country, visiting public gardens and interacting with public art professionals. So it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that experience. And, Let um, me jump in here for a yeah. second, just to tell people that long, the Longwood program from Longwood Gardens in Pennsylvania yep. is what you're talking about. So you didn't go for the PhD; you went to the Longwood program yeah, kind of instead. I, I, I figured, you know, if I could if I could get a master's degree and sort of leave that option open, I'd be happy. Um, but once I got into uh, in the graduate school, I realized I'm just a horrible researcher. It's just not in my DNA. Uh, to to um, conduct extensive research research programs and um, so I think the PhD door may have closed uh, on me um, but I'm really happy with what I'm doing now in public horticulture and and uh, so the door's still open but I I don't know that it'll ever end up coming to fruition so we'll see <laughs> um, but yeah it was it, it's a fantastic program it definitely um, just really sparked my interest to to work in this field and. Um, as I was finishing up the program, I was invited to um, to join the staff at Longwood as the um, student programs coordinator, and and it, it really fit with you know what I was looking to do at the time, which was share my knowledge of horticulture with others, and so I got to run um, some pretty uh, extensive educational programs there at Longwood. Um, was on staff there for five years, and I ran the professional gardener program. Um, which is Longwood's two-year school of horticulture, um, and that gave me an opportunity to keep my hands in horticulture while really, you know, working in the educational aspects of public gardens, um, and you know, had some awesome experiences there. Longwood's a, a fantastic place, and uh, you know, the the opportunities there are immense for for staff and students, and so it was just a, a really great experience, and you know, living sort of in the um, I guess the uh, the wealthier um, world of, of public horticulture was was uh, you know it, it kind of played out for me after a while, and I decided I wanted to work for an organization that really knew what it meant to sort of sweat payroll, um, and that that found me you know looking for a smaller organization to to work with, and and um, that's how I wound up at Brookside Gardens in uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland. It's in Wheaton, Maryland, which is just north of Silver Spring sort of at the at the uh, border of Washington, D.C., and I love that area. I really enjoy Washington. I got to know a lot of the gardens in that area and a lot of the gardeners in the area um, and, and spent about three years on staff there leading their adult education programs at Brookside. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that experience, definitely found out what it was like to work for a garden that didn't have the resources that Longwood had. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it really just drives creativity. It, it makes you... Um, it makes you really think long and hard about every decision that you make and uh, and really find some creative ways to get things done. And so that, <clears throat> it was definitely a good experience. I enjoyed my time in the D.C. area, but decided it was uh, time to come back home. So my wife and I are both from Rhode Island originally and, um, you know, always kind of kept an eye open to New England and Massachusetts and other parts of New England always have uh, had a really strong appeal for us, and I've always been a native plant person. Um, you know, ever since I was in in, uh, in undergraduate school, I had a great professor named Sue, Sue Gordon who was um, uh, ran a place called Kinney Azalea Gardens while she was teaching at at University of Rhode Island, and and um, she's a native plant guru, and she really kind of sparked my interest in in the native plant world and. So looking at New England Wildflower Society is a way to kind of, you know, get my family back up to Rhode Island and just a great way to get back working in horticulture, working with my hands and working with native plants. 
um, was really appealing. So I was, I was thrilled when I got the offer to come here. And it's been a great experience so far. This is a fantastic place with fantastic staff. So. You are so right. Yeah. It, and it sounds perfect. And also you're out of the swamp. Not that you mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> you worked Definitely in a couple out of, of human humidity, places. That's for sure. <laughs> well, the great thing at the Garden in the Woods is seeing plants, which are disappearing from the wild places in New England, grown to perfection. And it's also great that their genes are being preserved in the vast collection. And I know your goal, one of your goals is to bring the garden into the 21st century. And the challenge, I think, is to not go over the top as you update the garden's sure. sort of dated presentation. Sure. And there's a danger there. For, I can think of a lot of bad things that could happen. Sure. But the garden could, you know, either get a flashy design or, or look hip yeah. or stark like a museum, uh, even though the way it is now is kind of stodgy and not clear. Sure. Uh, and I know when when I hear words like master plan, I get scared. Sure. sure. <laughs> I've seen so many gardens ruined by landscape architecture. I shouldn't say that. Many gardens, but not all. <laughs> sure. But uh, y- you know, th- some some of the gardens they they get totally excited about the video orientation center, yeah. and the tram, and always a children's garden. Yeah. And I I know that's appealing to the public and probably something you're thinking about but uh, I want to tell you some something that an anecdote that happened to me in Garden in the Woods sure Um, a few years ago I was visiting the garden and a guide was taking kids around the garden in the fall and the children were discussing tree species and they were analyzing the bark and they had some leaves that had fallen and they were arguing a bit about which one was the beech and which one was the oak and I thought this this is fantastic. They're yeah, they're great. so engaged, and there's no plastic play equipment or hobbit sure. huts. Sure. Um, so I don't know that I've never been to. Frankly, I've never been to a garden where that happened. I go to so many places where people walk in and see plants and and learn about plants in glass enclosures, and then have some interactive video games, and they never go outside. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. I, I think I think that experience is definitely a testament to Bonnie Drexler, our education director. Um, she's fantastic with kids, and you know she she's definitely an integral part of this planning process um, that we're getting ready to to dive into. So, um, I think you know one of the unique things about Garden in the Woods is that it has this really. Um, the, I mean, just a very unique aesthetic, and it's something that's been developed since our founders' time in the 1930s, and you know that's never going to change. I mean, well, what do you think that aesthetic is? Uh, well, it's a very, you know, I mean, we talk about naturalistic gardens, and I, I, um, Garden in the Woods has always been a naturalistic garden, and you know, it, it's it's a garden that appears to have just kind of emerged out of the woodland. Um, and you know the only way to do that and to do that really well is to to you know make sure that every single um, every single element of the garden is 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 natural materials every single um, element of the garden is really thought through in terms of how it's going to interact with the rest of the the aesthetic here um, and that that will never change i mean no matter what you know what might happen to the infrastructure here at garden in the woods um that that aesthetic and that feel that you have will you know it it, it will forever be maintained i mean it promise? absolutely has to be <laughs> do you promise me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, year, years and years ago, I mean, the gardens were started in the 1930s, I believe. Exactly. Yeah, Will Curtis started them in the 1930s. And it was a, it was you used the word natural, and it was a natural garden, but it wasn't a native garden completely. No. It had right. uh, different azaleas mo mostly that I can. That's what came to mind just now yeah. for me from around the world, but and, and many many native plants and local right. plants mixed together and so it was a, a natural garden but you know it, its mission was not there wasn't a mission really in the beginning right. Right. Uh, so do you think that you're going to make it exclusively native um so the the garden has this this really um exceptional sort of historic core um the the woodland walk uh, that leads down basically from the curtis cottage all the way down to the lily pond here um is is really where we interpret uh curtis's impact on the on the gardening world and and curtis's impact on this garden specifically and and you know that's um we have a little more free reign to uh to grow non-natives in that area uh, mostly because you know will curtis wasn't exclusively a native plant gardener um and and so that that area will always maintain um uh some semblance of of his uh, unique collection in the garden, and so we'll always have non-natives in the in the woodland walk. Uh, the rest of the garden, yeah, I mean, the mission of the New England Wildflower Society is definitely about conservation and promotion of the region's native plants, and the gardens really need to reflect that a little bit more than they than they do now. Um, so our, our our focus is really on New England natives, um, pretty much everywhere, uh, with the exception of of uh, the woodland walk. Um, just reflecting our founder's history and, and his vision for the garden, and then also, you know, reflecting on how the, the New England Wildflower Society has evolved through the years. Um, we, we really need to bridge the gap between both of those uh, important aspects of our history. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely focused on New England natives for um, the, you know, the large majority of the garden, but we'll always maintain uh, the woodland walk, and, and I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we take out all the non-natives in that area. It just mm -hmm. wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, as long as it's clear. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> as long as people know what they're looking at. Because the, yeah, you're right, the exactly. woodland walk is wonderful, and then getting to the pond, it's such a surprise when everything opens yeah. up and there's the pond. Right. Um, I'm I'm thrilled with the propagation beds, and I, I know that you have the off-site propagation facility, and uh, maybe you could talk farm. about how how we all feel about conservation through propaga propagation sure. and, you know that whole, that buzz phrase sure uh, you know a lot of people are against that it's the weirdest thing i mean how could you be against that <laughs> against conservation in general or no, against... Co conservation through propagation sure sure well, I mean, you know, our focus is really um, seed propagation. We're really interested in genetic diversity and promoting genetic diversity as much as possible. So our, our propagation efforts are largely focused on, you know, finding um, finding wild populations of of, uh, of plants that we'd like to grow and, um, you know, collecting seed from those wild populations in a responsible manner. Um, you know, always working with landowners and, and um Making sure that we're, you know, not not doing anything to harm those native populations or the uh, the land in general, and and so, but that's really our focus is is um, you know propagating everything from seed as much as possible. It doesn't work for everything, um, but you know we're we're certainly striving to get there. Um, the Sami Farm is an outstanding place. We've got you know a, a really good team there. Um, it's very devoted to the to the work that they do. Um, and I was glad you brought up the stock beds because the stock beds are really undergoing sort of a renaissance at the moment. Um, now, the, uh, we're, this is back at 
the this is back at Garden in the Woods, uh-huh. right? Right. We've always had this great tradition of, um, you know, propagating plants here on site and uh, and people being being able to buy plants through our retail garden shop that have been grown here on site. And um, since Book Kalina left the garden, I think maybe back in 2008 is uh, is is when he left to go up to Coastal Maine Botanical Garden. The, the stock beds have been uh, a little bit neglected, and now we have a, a great staff member member named Dan Jaffe. Um, who's our he's our propagator and stock bed grower and he's really leading this uh, uh, renaissance I would say of the stock beds really bringing them back up to the level that they were at in terms of display quality and and uh, and really trying to help us uh, kind of reinvigorate that that propagation mission that we've always had here in the gardens. Now are plants propagated from seed at the garden in the woods too? Uh, no, all of our seed propagation happens at Nasami. So we do some we do some collection here. Actually, Dan's out collecting seed all the time um, from from garden plants here, garden in the woods, and mm. then and then sending them back to Nasami where they're either stored or or uh, you know cleaned and, and propagated there. Um, but everything that's propagated from seed is done so over at Nasami. Do Do you have uh, Do people come and see how it's done? I mean, do you have classes at Nasami? Or demonstrations? We, we do, yeah. We do have some classes at Nasami. Um, the vision for Nasami was really for that to be a native plant center and for us to do a lot of classes um, at Nasami eventually. Um, there, uh, we're sort of slowly diving into it. We have a, a new building that opened up just a couple of years ago, um, and so we are we are offering some classes there. Um, in fact, Kate Pauling, who's uh, our propagator over there at Nasami, uh, led a, a native plant seed collecting demonstration kind of workshop just a few weeks ago uh, where they walked out through the meadows at Nasami and collected natives, you know, collected seeds from a bunch of the native plants that are there. Um, so we do that kind of thing. It's really more hands-on demonstration, hands-on workshop um, types of classes, but we certainly do offer classes there. What would you say to someone who wanted to get into propagating plants and collecting seed? I mean, uh, you don't want people collecting all the seeds they can get because that would kind of damage the local population. So it does, yeah, it does. It's 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 really all about sensitivity and being a responsible seed collector. Um, you know, it's it's really important to do your homework and to understand, um, you know, really understand the plants that you're working with. Not just to go out and start collecting seed because you're really interested in this one particular plant, but you know, is is that seed on the endangered species? I mean, is that plant on the endangered species list? List is it rare uh, in the region that you're collecting it from? Um, what are some of the you know the habitat constraints that you might have to worry about? I mean, it's just you really need to do your homework and make sure that you fully understand the conservation issues surrounding that plant before you just go out and start collecting seed. Um, and you know, seed collecting. It, it, it's not all that glamorous. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, cleaning seed after you've collected it is really difficult, and um, germinating it is, is tricky. And you know, I'd really recommend that people, if they're interested in growing native plants, um, you know, focus on buying uh, plants from a, a local garden center or nursery that um, you know ha- has done so in a responsible manner. Uh, versus trying to trying to do it on their own. That's not to say that I would discourage people from, um, you know, from getting into uh, propagation. Uh, I certainly always want to encourage people to grow native plants, but um, you just have to do so wisely and make sure that you're doing it in a responsible way, and that really means just doing your homework ahead of time. What about rescue? You know, if uh, a place is going to be developed. Yeah, do you have any I, organized rescue? Um, you know, we, we don't. 
uh, we have a we have a conservation um, uh, conservation department that that works with a lot of you know private landowners and and municipal landowner uh, municipal areas, um, and they, they go out and really work on invasive uh, plant control and you know collecting from wild populations of of native plants. But we don't do a whole lot of uh, a lot of plant rescue. I know there are a lot of groups that will do that. There was a group down in um, D.C. I think the Silver Spring Garden Club. Uh, down in Washington, D.C., did a lot of plant rescues where, you know, an area was going to be developed or a particular garden was going to be, uh, you know, changing hands, uh, and, and they would go in and really try to save a lot of the plants that were in that garden or save a lot of the plants that were in that that native habitat. Um, but I don't have any direct experience with it, and we don't we certainly don't lead any efforts like that here at Garden in the Woods. Yet. Yet, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Friends of mine in Michigan got their town to pass an ordinance that they had to, that developers had to give them two day two days only notice that when two days really yeah one I think it was one or two days but they okay. it was they were forced as part of their whole plan the developers had to tell people when they were the bulldozers were coming sure and they just ran in and got every single thing they possibly could oh, in a very rich area sure. so so in the few minutes that we have left uh I, how when did you come to the garden oh I, uh at the very end of july i think i started the last last week last monday in july wow so, so it's, it's like a month and a half <laughs> pretty much yeah so have you do you have any visions have you uh thought about what you might do or what are some of the ideas that are popping into your head and i won't hold you to them Sure. Yeah. No. Actually, right right now, it's about it's about really trying to learn the garden as much as I can. And and um, we have we have two outstanding horticulturists who who manage this whole entire place. Um, we've got great volunteers that you know that work alongside our our horticulturists. But it's a it's a really you know skeleton crew essentially. Um, and I, I think the most important thing for me in this role is to just support them and in, in their efforts and um, try to help them you know develop their own vision for the gardens. And they've got a lot of great ideas and so in some ways it's just about moving roadblocks um, and you know helping them sort of carry out some of the things that they've they've really uh, been thinking about doing for a long time um, you know I, I, I there's uh, a few sort of minor projects we can do in the next few years before um, you know before the, the master plan process really takes over um, so you know one of the things that we're trying to do is is um, Move out some of the non-natives from the, you know, the non-sort of historic core areas of the garden. So there's a few areas that we're looking at, um, <clears throat> just changing the plant palette a little bit, respecting the, um, you know, the the environmental conditions that we have. Um, one one area here that's a little bit difficult and it's a source of frustration for um, for the gardening staff is is our western garden. It's uh, it's really a collection of western plants, a lot of cacti, a lot of succulents that really don't like this environment all that much and so we're we're talking about some creative ways that we can you know um, sort of reinvigorate that area probably adjust the plant palette a little bit um, and we're hoping to attack that in the spring uh, but you know that's that's a long ways off we're, we're um, we have some some brainstorming and some um, uh, uh, I guess some some decisions to make before we we get to a point where we're actually you know changing the plant palette but i think that's one area that i'd really like to see some change in um it just doesn't quite work at the mm -hmm. moment and I'd, I'd really like to see us uh do something that makes a little bit more sense and is a little more sensitive to the site conditions that we that we have in that area um 
beyond that, you know, there's there's uh, there's really just some minor things that I'd like to do. I'd, I'd like us to manage storm water a little bit better than we do now. Um, you know, there's some major runoff in certain areas of the garden, so we're looking at putting in some more bioswales and rain gardens um, just to deal with some of that storm water runoff. Um, and, you know, really trying to add some more color uh, at various seasons. Um, this is definitely a garden that's been oriented towards spring for probably its entire existence. And, uh, you know, so I'd, I'd really like to see us incorporate more sort of mid-season summer color. Um, Nate McCullen, who I know you've spoken with, mm-hmm. um, he's uh, he's in charge of the woodland garden. And one of the things that he did last year was uh, he did some light studies to see if we had enough light to grow lobelia, one of his favorite plants, uh, in the woodland garden and decided, yeah, we really could. And, you know, things like that have really incorporated a lot of um, – you know, a lot of nice color in areas that we haven't had color at certain times of the year. So. Well, you have a very talented group of people, and we I do. want to thank you, Mark Richardson, the new, the very new Director of Horticulture for the New England Wildflower Society, and thank you again for speaking with me today on Ken Drew's Real Dirt. It's been a pleasure, and we're going to check in with you again in the future and see how Great. things go. I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Ken. This was a lot of fun. I hope you get a chance to visit the Garden in the Woods, especially if you're a lover of of wildflowers, those spring ephemeral beauties. See you next week on Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show.